You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you. And welcome to another edition of the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. A show where we take an analytical look at how we can achieve peace, whether that be political peace, economic peace, societal peace, or even that inner peace. Just a few short months ago, I was here in this very studio after we celebrated the very historic milestone in British history as Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II celebrated her Platinum Jubilee, a remarkable 70 years as the reigning monarch. On September 8th, 2022, we marked another significant moment in British history This time, unfortunately, it's a solemn moment. As here in the UK and around the Commonwealth, we mourn the loss of our beloved Queen Elizabeth II. To God we belong, and to Him shall we all return. Many have been glued to the TV watching the scenes of the royal family and the historic footage showing the life of Her Majesty. Today, here on the Pathway to Peace show, we want to reflect and look at how we as a nation can continue to live in peace as Her Majesty led a 70-year relatively peaceful reign and would want us to continue that legacy. Now, I can't do that alone, so I invite you to get involved in the conversation here on The Voice of Islam, Pathway to Peace show by tweeting using the hashtag VOI peace, that's VOI for Voice of Islam, followed by the word peace, all one word, hashtag VOI peace, to let us know your thoughts. And joining me here in the studio, as always, is my peaceful pal and co host, Mr. Arif Khan. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, Arif. Indeed, it's hard to put into words the emotions of the entire United Kingdom for the last few days. What are your thoughts on the events we are witnessing before us? Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you as well, Sofian. And uh, yeah, I think that, you know, you mentioned the, the reaction of the United Kingdom, but actually the whole world as well. I think it's an interesting one because the, there are always mixed reactions to the monarchy, even in the UK and beyond as well. That, you know, the relationship between the British people and the monarchy has not always been straightforward, yet it felt like um, last time or maybe a few times ago when we were last here discussing the Jubilee celebration that platinum jubilee celebration was something so uh, extraordinary there were street parties me and you mm. were at one of these we were we were seeing members of the Ahmadiyya community we were seeing neighbors it was such a unifying event yeah um that actually i guess it brought out the best in what the monarchy really represents which is a figurehead that everyone can kind of get behind and there was such unity at that point mm. and as well i think that that spirit if you like has sort of carried on and it's very you know Maybe poignant is the right word that, that, you know, she has, Her Majesty the Queen has passed away in that same year whilst, 
you know, whilst the country was uh, in a very much, you know, you were on a high. You always talk mm. about, you know, everyone's time will come eventually at some point. We can't control when it will be. You want to go out at, on, on a good note. You want to go out at the height. And it really felt like that 70th celebration was one of the high points for the monarchy in terms of the unifying effect it had on the country. There was also an element, of course, that a lot of us had been locked up for a while due to lockdowns and the pandemic. And this was a chance for us all to get together. So it, it felt like that spirit continued into the reaction and the response to her passing away. I personally have been very um, surprised by but the international response. Hmm. I think we'll talk about this later in the show, but it's she touched people a lot further than just the, the shores of the UK and even beyond the Commonwealth as well. You know, the other other countries, if you look at, you know, I, I, in the United States, for example, as well, whether you're watching news in the US or, or even in Russia, let's say, there were still comments and messages of condolence around the Queen. So her impact was, was very broad. And, and, you know, it feels to me like, you know, the uh, it was fitting in a way uh, that we had that celebration of her 70th year and reign to kind of remind us of everything she she did early recently. And those thoughts are still, I think, in very much everyone's mind as we you know, commemorate the loss. Yeah, I think the the unity aspect is is really really big. I mean, you're absolutely right on what you said with the jubilee kind of bringing everyone together here in the world in the UK and it was a very happy time and and while the demise of of Queen Elizabeth II may God rest her soul uh is a sad event. It's um, probably the polar opposite of that celebration that we had just a few short months ago. But th- when you when you talk about unity I almost felt like, as you're speaking there, uh, the Jubilee was great in kind of bringing unity across the UK, you know, and and this demise, what what we've realized is the impact that this figurehead, the monarch, uh, in the Queen had, not only here in the UK, which we kind of realized through the Jubilee and all the street parties, but the impact that she had globally. Mm. I mean, we're in the midst of of a crisis between Ukraine and Russia, and obviously you have east meets west with this battle that's been going on for 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 decades if not centuries um the message that her, her the queen received even from vladimir putin who arguably is an opponent in this in this war going on now between europe and russia uh but even he was impacted by her and had the chance to meet her a few years ago and felt it incumbent on himself to send a message uh for uh, expressing his condolences on on yeah. the demise of the queen so the the unity point i think is really really strong uh, but i think that in her demise it's really brought the world together around one one figure and and the impact her impact has just been tremendous and and we have to think about what she stands for she doesn't represent a political party she yeah. has to be impartial so what does she represent as a figurehead then what is the, what is the monarchy all about in the modern day today right a lot of the 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 legislation side of it the legal side the powers of the monarch are very much restricted in the modern day you know democracy mm. uh, so on paper the queen or the king has a lot of power but in reality their their position is more you know it's more about formality that she will approve the prime minister and things like that so then what does she stand for well actually the thing that everyone has talked about is her sort of selfless servi- servitude if you like of the uh, you know of her responsibility taking on this big responsibility at a young age yeah. and doing like it's almost like everyone has to respect her for having served her people for 70 more than 70 years mm. regardless of their 
no matter what political persuasion, which you know, which part of the world you come from, you have to respect that. Yeah. Basically, you know, and she did it with you know with dignity as well, and and done in a certain style. And you know, in today's day, where we we talked about on the show the the lack of leaders with integrity, the lack you know maybe lack of dignity as well, mm. the way people kind of handle themselves, the fact that nowadays you know personal lives are all over social media and things like that. You know, yet when you look back and reflect on the way the Queen did it, she was a a people's queen. Yet at the same time, she didn't give personal interviews she yeah. avoided showing too much of her personal life she knew where the boundary was there mm. so it, there's quite a lot to reflect on and i honestly feel one some one reaction kind of sums up for me i think the way a lot of us felt was i was with i was at a work event at the time when the news broke with one of my uh, with my team and my manager and, and something she said was oh i feel really sad about the queen having passed and then she reflected mm. she's like I didn't think I would be this sad, yeah. but I am actually really sad about this. Mm. And I think the people are sort of, you know, there's, there is a sort of, um, in certain sections, people are unsure about how to exactly to respond to the monarchy. But in that moment, there's a human aspect to this. This is a lady who's been in all of our lives for as long as we can all remember. Yeah. You know, even our parents, if you think about it, you know, like have never been alive when there hasn't been Queen yeah. Elizabeth II as, as the queen. So just that in itself is something to, to you know, respect and reflect on before all the other achievements yeah. she has had. Yeah, the 70-year reign is something phenomenal. And it's just, yeah, what, like you were saying, the generations that have seen, have, have, have played out um, like three generations at least have have been have come and gone, and the queen is still so, uh, there. Um, two world wars. Yeah. How many prime ministers? Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and, and speaking of wars, that's a good segue. <laughs> uh, back seventy years ago, when sorry, the, one world war. I should say. I yeah, yeah. yeah. Myself. Yep. Uh, one world war. Uh, I know it would have been two. It would have been two. Yeah, she would have been alive at the time of the. Uh, just just about missed World War. Must be you're right. Yeah. Second World War. I remember Second World War specifically because there's a photo of her actually giving a yeah. giving a talk in there, and she was involved, wasn't she, in yeah. some of the efforts yeah. for World War Two? Yep. So before we get into that, uh, just a, a note: when she served uh, seventy years, which is phenomenal, her the, as you mentioned, Arf, her service to the nation was something that was uh, something that people remember her for even now as they're paying tribute from around the globe. And it was near and dear to her heart. In fact, at her coronation speech, she said, quote, I have in sincerity pledged myself to your service, as so many of you are pledged to mine throughout all my life. And with all my heart, I st shall strive to be worthy of your trust. This was in her coronation speech, uh, dated June 2nd, 1953. So, Right from the outset at her coronation, she laid out kind of her plan. She wanted to um, serve and she wanted to uh, gain her subjects, all of our trust uh, throughout, the, throughout the UK and also in the Commonwealth. But actually, Arif, it's interesting that even before she came queen, and I only recently learned this, she was already serving her nation. So right. she was already an embodiment of service and her coronation speech just kind of almost codified what she was already doing and basically etched it into into stone. Uh, so she was already serving her nation and she actually served uh, during World War II and briefly joined the Auxiliary Territorial Service towards the end of the war by learning to drive and service a lorry. Now imagine Queen Elizabeth, as, as me and you remember her, 
um, you imagine her in her younger days uh, driving and, and, and servicing lorries. It's yeah, it shows phenomenal. a certain spirit. It shows a work ethic. It shows a you know this idea of when when there is a need, when the nation is in need, to kind of come forward and actually serve the nation. So you're right, uh, and it's often you often see this with a lot of you know people, historical figures, is that they're, they're known for certain things, but when you look into their their upbringing, you see that this that was something that was instilled in them from an earlier age. Uh, and it came, you know, or we might have only seen it later on, but it was something that, you know, it was instilled from a very early age. Yeah, yeah. And then if you look at the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and uh, His Holiness, in fact, earlier today when this when this show is going out live, September 11th, 2022, uh, talked about and paid tribute to the Queen. And one of the things His Holiness mentioned was the the fact that she allowed the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, migrate and create their center in this country. And our kind of ethos is also embedded in service. You know, when we look at the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, it's embedded in, in service. And when I read the the quote from the coronation speech initially, you know, I the lorry driver stood out to me because... If you recall, Arif, uh, just a few short months ago, maybe almost a year ago now, the uh, this country was facing a lorry driver shortage. And it was the Ahmadiyya Muslim community that actually stepped up to the plate and said, okay, what can we do to help? Okay, we don't have X number of lorry drivers to just put out there and say, here you go. Yeah. But what maybe we can do is offer some training. So they brought uh, the corporations and the companies that are involved in training up lorry drivers and I remember vividly the uh, the Batufutu Mosque here in South London yep. was full of people coming in to learn how to be lorry drivers that's yes, just yeah, absolutely. That's an interesting coincidence, isn't it? We missed out. We missed out on a marketing opportunity for this drive then by <laughs> saying, "Follow the footsteps of your queen." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the queen, the queen set the the example so many years ago by uh, doing what her country needed, uh, and it reminds me also of, uh, of a quote of an American president: uh, "Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country." And it's exactly what the attitude that Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II uh, took and it's the attitude that the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association here in the UK and around the world takes is giving back to your community, giving back to your, your country. And in fact, it's in it's in the pledge of every auxiliary organization that, that you'll sacrifice uh, for your nation and country. And I think that's the essence that's brought people together. Like I said, there are there are a range of views about whether there should be a monarch, whether the monarchy should continue. The relationship between the people and the monarchy in the UK is not straightforward, right? There are mm. different opinions. But what I what I feel is that obviously at a time of sorrow like this, people will unite and they will put their differences aside. But also what everyone can get behind is the idea of, you know, servitude to a cause um, and pledging your you know, we've 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 got members of our own families and people we know who, within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, dedicate their own life to the community. You know, they they literally dedicate their life, yeah. and we can we can respect that on a human level. We can say, wow, what a sacrifice that person has made to to take something they truly believe in and and pledge their services in full. And that's something that's universal. It doesn't matter what political party, where you're from. Like that is something that has to be admired and respected. And I think that's the case with the Queen. Yeah. 
The interesting thing, though, about what you mentioned there about devoting one's life. So that's that's something that we we advocate for in in our community. I'm the Muslim community of life devotees. But there's a distinct difference when you think about the the, the that's almost voluntary, or people sign up to do it. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it in the case of the monarch, it's almost it was thrust upon yeah. her at a very very early age, and she had to uh, number one. Uh, bear the loss of her father at the time yep. and then step up to the plate. I, I don't know her exact age, between 20s. 21 and 25. Yeah, 20s, yep. yeah early 20s. And uh, she she had to basically do it, whether she liked it or not, because it was in her blood, literally. Uh, so there, there's, a, there, there's a difference there, and I, I don't know if that changes the mindset, but the sense of service and, and giving back... Um, for sure is, 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 is the same. Uh, moving on, the His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, actually issued a statement on uh, the day of her demise, September 8th, uh, 2022. And I want to take a moment here to read the statement of His Holiness, the fifth caliph, Hazrat Mirza Mashur Ahmed, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He said, quote, The death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II is truly a great loss for the United Kingdom and Commonwealth. Ahmadi Muslims will remain forever grateful for the way Her Majesty served her people with immense dignity, grace, and unwavering dedication throughout her long reign. On behalf of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, I wish to express our most sincere condolences to His Majesty King Charles III, the members of the royal family, and to the nation. May God Almighty grant them all the patience and strength to deal with this tremendous loss. Is there anything that stood out to you in in His Holiness's uh, message uh, on the occasion of the demise of of Her Majesty? Definitely, I think, um, and I have to admit, I, I borrowed some of his the comments already and brought them up to the intro of the show. So the word dignity, I think, really dignity and grace. It's really interesting that he highlighted those two elements because that is something we do see and like i said in the modern world it's uh it's sadly not something we see that often um and the serve again mentioning about her serving her people and you know his holiness is is speaks from a position of great authority because he's also you know was put into a position where he was voted into a, a particular position himself but again it was something that was put a, something placed upon him a responsibility placed upon his shoulders as well so if there's someone out there who knows what it feels like to be put yeah. into this situation obviously very different positions he's the uh, you know worldwide head of a spiritual organization where the queen was the you know the head of state effectively for the uk um but um and the commonwealth but you can see how you know there is a there's a like a recognition there isn't there in terms of mm. the, the serving of the people and um you know and then obviously um he offered you know, condolences as is appropriate um, to the family for for their loss, which is which is difficult. Even if someone is isn't is old and the queen had been unwell, you know, and it maybe not been a big shock that this occurred. It's always always takes its toll on the family. Yeah, you are listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam. Be sure to follow at Voice of Islam UK on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Use the hashtag VOI Peace to send us your thoughts, comments, and feedback. Now, the monarch is also, as most of you probably know here in the UK, but for for those of our listeners that are spread across the world and around the globe, she's also the head of the Church of England. 
And although the role is largely traditional and symbolic, um, but officially the UK is deemed as a Christian country, which has embraced values of religious tolerance. There have been no hijab bans here, unlike other parts of Europe. People have been free to worship as they wish. And the UK has also provided a sanctuary to members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, many of whom were persecuted in their home countries. And it has become, as His Holiness mentioned in the concluding speech of the Ahmadiyya Youth Association as well, that uh, we must be grateful that uh, the Queen has allowed us to make the UK the center of the community itself uh, and the home of uh, two caliphs, the fourth caliph who migrated here in 1984 and then obviously um, when he passed away and the fifth caliph uh, was elected, uh, he now resides in, in Surrey. Uh, so we we owe a lot as Ahmadi Muslims to Her Majesty the Queen. Absolutely. And we actually, I mean, the British monarchy and British rule is actually something that um, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has had to, has has highlighted to the point where some have even criticized the community about having maybe too close, too much uh, links and close affection with the British government. Because it started in India at the time of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. When he was in India, he praised the British in then as well, the British rule in allowing for pluralism, for religious freedom, for allowing you know, there to be an element of peace, you know, in that in that area under the rule of the British. And he specifically called them out for that as well. Do you remember at the time of um, Queen Victoria's um, celebration as well? Was it her 50th anniversary? of Diamond Jubilee. Yeah, so he wrote a special book on that and he started off with praise for her establishing peace in the area and allowing specifically, particularly for allowing religious freedom, for allowing him, for example, to be able to, uh, you know, preach his message having that freedom and if you look at the you know the next time the community had a real challenge in terms of being able to freely propagate the Ahmadiyya Muslims belief um, in Pakistan that you know we had the same situation where the caliph at the time was unable to remain in the country the laws were brought in would have meant that he would be immediately imprisoned the moment he would would go about his normal regular duties as the caliph just starting with the Islamic greeting of assalamu alaikum you know was 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 outlawed and calling your place of worship a mosque and many other things so it was necessary for him to migrate and it's very telling that that at that time it was the UK um, you know under the figurehead of the Queen if you like who would have been the monarch at the time is is where he chose to go and it was to the UK that he came and it was again once in the UK it was that religious freedom that allowed other persecuted members of the Ahmadiyya community who have been persecuted and, and martyred sadly in Pakistan it allowed them to uh, come to the UK and have a place where they could worship freely. So, you know, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, me, you, others, our friends, have a lot to be grateful for in terms of the the freedom that we have under the under the rule in the UK. Yeah, and the fifth caliph, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, may God strengthen his hand. Also, uh, corresponded with Her Majesty multiple times through letters. Uh, one such letter was on. Um, the occasion of, of Queen Elizabeth II's Diamond Jubilee in 2012 to congratulate her and on behalf of himself and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And again, he did that. Uh, he sent a congratulatory message at the recent Platinum Jubilee as well and commended the Queen on her leadership and prayed for her continued prosperity and the fostering of peace. And the Queen actually later replied to His Holiness as well. And it was interesting, um, coming from the 
Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association's uh, annual gathering, uh, Ishtama as they call it, uh, they had a nice display and they actually had on display there the correspondence between His Holiness and the Queen and also a, a book of condolences which uh, the president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association actually mentioned today that it would be uh, sent on to the royal family from, from the Youth Association. Uh, now, the letters and the correspondence that the caliphs have with the world leaders is in following the footsteps of the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, the Promised Messiah, and the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, and uh, Queen Elizabeth II, in many ways, uh, carried the legacy of Queen Victoria, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Arif, who who remained a benevolent empress of India at the time of of the Promised Messiah by carrying by bringing uh, to the land religious freedom, a privilege which was previously unknown to the native population of India for many centuries, and this benevolence had earned her a huge deal of prayers from the promised Messiah who had been sent, uh, who we believe had been sent by God Almighty to rejuvenate not only Islam, but all of the religions of the world. And under the rule of such a government and such a monarch, he was free to speak, write, and publicize his message through every medium available. And for this, he was very grateful to the queen. Now, of course, all prophets of God have opponents and the op- opponents actually made made this into and uh, misconstrued this completely RF and I want to spend a little bit of time here on on this idea of you know there's this accusation made against the community yeah. that at the time and even people argue try to argue it today as well uh, because the caliph resides here in the UK and whatnot but they they basically say that oh the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is an agent of the British yeah, yeah, yeah. how do we how do we respond to this it's laughable really but you can you can understand in some ways at a superficial level you can understand where this originates yeah. from because of the glowing praise that the promised Messiah peace be upon him has at Mizzahullah Muhammad uh, of Qadian gave to the British government but read the context you know read what he was saying he praised the British for establishing peace and you know um, uh, establishing an environment where religion could be openly practiced and the irony the irony is that this should have been the Muslims who should have been leading the way in this mm. and you know for example in the Holy Quran chapter 2 verse 257 it clearly states that there should be no compulsion in religion surely right has become distinct from wrong so the Quran is openly saying that there's no point or no need to force people into certain beliefs um, so the, the it's a real sadness sad story that if you look at the history um, for example, that in terms of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and where they've been persecuted, it has been the Muslims that have persecuted them, and it's actually a Christian ruler under whose uh, uh, you know reign the, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has has been able to find shelter. But in reality, you know the the Quranic teaching is clear. There's another verse I'll mention, chapter 18, verse 30. It says, "And say, it is the truth from your Lord. Wherefore, let him who will believe, and him who will disbelieve." End quote. So clearly saying that it's up to man whether they believe in something or not. There's no compulsion. There's no force in that. And so, you know, persecuting in, uh, people for this um, and is, it goes against the Islamic teaching. Yet, sadly, it's the it's the so-called Muslim uh, clerics and others that have been have have reacted in that way. 
And it, that's what led to the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, for example, like really praising the British because he was highlighting that, you know, they were the ones acting in the in, in the best way, which is giving an open um, you know, forum, allowing people to have freedom of conscience, essentially. Yeah, and he did that in, in following the practice of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, who uh, both the wars, if I correct me if I'm wrong here, Arf, but both the wars were really about defending religion, religion, the freedom of religion and the unity of God. It wasn't to coerce everyone to become a Muslim, was it? Yeah, exactly. If the, the injunction given in the Holy Quran about you know fighting, for example, if you want to get onto that, um, clearly states that it's to protect all faiths, hmm. that it's to protect places of worship, cloisters, synagogues. The word synagogue is mentioned explicitly in the Quran. This was something that really struck me when I first read that verse, is that it specifically mentions synagogues. It talks about cloisters. So there there are other religious religions that are being defended. So yes, you can take up arms and fight against those who have wronged you and have driven you out because if if one people didn't repel another people, all of these places and the Quran says where the name of God is remembered, all of those places, so it's a very plural message, you know, would be brought down. So it's to stop the uh, disorder of that level. Uh, you know, that is where the injunction comes from. That's what the Islamic teaching is around, around, you know, taking up arms. Yeah. And and it was for that reason that the that His Holiness, um, the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed was so, so gracious and grateful to Her Majesty Queen Victoria and why even today, his Holiness, the fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the fifth successor of that same promised Messiah, is grateful to Her Majesty the Queen and also uh, expressed his his loyalty to the new king. I still want to say prince, but it's a King Charles III. Well, we'll have to get used to that, yes. Yeah, that's going to take a bit of getting used to. But you are listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam radio. Be sure to follow at Voice of Islam UK on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Use the hashtag VOIPs to send us your thoughts, comments, and feedback. We are speaking today about Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II, who passed away just a few uh, days ago, uh, September 8th, 2022. A very, very sad event uh, in the history uh, of Great Britain and the Commonwealth and thoughts and prayers have been coming in from around the world over the last few days. Uh, her funeral, RF, is now set for Monday, the 19th of yep. September, 2020-22, which will be a bank holiday. So we all get to watch uh, the funeral procession and pay our respects. Those of us living in the UK can actually visit, I believe, from uh, the 13th of September. Uh, she will be lying in state for four days. So what I give the British public and anyone else who wants to go pay their respects to pay their respects. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, that'll be at Westminster Abbey. Uh, but I want to spend a few moments here, RF, talking about some of the thoughts and comments that have been coming in from world leaders. Mm -hmm. Now, we mentioned early on in the show about uh, our good friend, Mr. Vladimir Putin. So we'll start with that one. Uh, he sent a comment saying, Elizabeth II rightfully enjoyed the love and respect of her subjects as well as authority on the world stage. An interesting uh, comment there from uh, Mr. Putin, any any thoughts on what he had to say? 
I just think the fact that um, you could take a figure that Vladimir Putin, and we'll talk about some of the others. So sorry if I'm spoiling it here. <laughs> no but Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, and Pope Francis could all agree on yeah. is, is a testament to you know the, the her servitude. And you know, like I said, there's nothing. Everyone admires that that service. So she wasn't about a particular set of politics or a particular belief system. She was, like we said, the figurehead of the. The Church of England, of course, but it wasn't. Yeah. You know, she there wasn't a specific agenda that she was pushing mm. in the work she was doing. She was just bringing people together. She was like carrying out her responsibility. So it's so interesting to see such a diverse list of people here, yeah. um, who all were able to say positive things about her life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin really stood out for me. Then there's a, actually uh, another uh, message from King Abdullah II of Jordan, who said about Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, a beacon of wisdom and principled leadership. Now, this is from an Arab na nation, yeah. one you would think of that wouldn't have anything really to say about uh, a, a monarch in the West. Yep. But lo and behold, she had that much impact and uh, uh, impact and, um, I don't know, uh, just, just was was so yeah, present gravitas, in the world gravitas, gravitas is a good dignity word. credibility yeah. and i think you look at you look at the list of world leaders and you're like, oh, i'm surprised they're talking about her but look at how many countries she visited yeah there were a huge number of countries visited by the queen whether they were part of the commonwealth or not you know they were massive like there were entire you know sometimes she was like if you look at the relationship with northern ireland yeah the uk there's you know there's histories decades of histories the queen was the queen's visits were part of establishing peace and reconciliation with countries like that with japan mm. you know after the second world war going to japan going to certain areas that where the uk had had tough relationships and you know reconciling them that was a key part of what she did yeah yeah indian prime minister narendra modi, modi said i will never forget her warmth and kindness uh so that was from the indian prime minister and then we come on to uh people that are more familiar to us like uh, First Minister of Scotland Nicola Sturgeon who mm -hmm. said Scotland loved, respected and admired her uh, and Scotland was that country um, that was basically where her body was when, Yeah, true, special when, relationship yeah, so there's between a special them. relationship yep. there was there any comment you had on that one, Art? Well, uh, only that, you know, the anyone who hasn't been to Scotland should go there and you'll see why there was a very special relationship. There's some stunning yeah. sceneries and places to go. And I think it's interesting that you had this figurehead as well. There is a lesson in this that she had. She, she was right in the heart of London in terms mm. of Buckingham Palace. But when she would go up to Scotland, to Balmoral, her residence there, you know, it was uh, something she really looked forward to. And it was a complete... Um, different environment to that of central London uh, and it's something you know everyone needs their kind of getaway don't they the kind yeah. of place where they can go and relax in terms of travel it's something I just looked up now she was actually the most traveled monarch wow. in history and she visited and let me ask you actually how many state visits do you think she did around the world I would say over 70 years she must have done at least half of that so I'd say close to 40 300 state visits huh? around the world wow. this is from a, a source the independent um has said that in, in an article a couple of days ago. Wow. So 300 separate countries she's visited. 300 different state visits. State visits. Yeah. Two around different the world. countries. Does it break it down? No? Okay. Uh, so so moving on, she not only got comments and, and respect from uh, world leaders, presidents, prime ministers, kings, queens, 
uh, but also from Pope, Pope Francis, mm. who said, a life of unstinting service to the good of the nation and the commonwealth, her example of devotion to duty. So he also called out her devotion to duty, something yeah. we've... Another we've person about. who can speak from a position of authority, having also yeah. had a you know, big duty placed upon him as well. And with her being the head of the Church of England, there's a special relationship there as well. Uh, then we have Mr. Justin Trudeau, who Canada is still part of the Commonwealth, right, if I'm not mistaken. He okay. said, curious, thoughtful, funny, and so much more about Her Majesty the Queen. Uh, former Prime Minister David Cameron, the world's greatest public servant and indeed the world's most experienced diplomat. Of course, we mentioned... So, so that's uh, high praise indeed, right? The, yeah. the, the diplomat thing I found interesting because if you, I, if you were to ask me or if you were to look in terms of a definition of what the role is, your dipl diplomacy doesn't come across as an obvious thing that the Queen's doing. But if you have the look at the different countries she visited and the times she did it as well, you'll see that key part of it was diplomatic relationships with those countries as well. So we might not think of them as political visits, but her visits played a key role. Does there any examples that stand out? Um, so I was looking at a list of the different countries she's been in and now some of them she would have visited more than once but Japan was mentioned I remember seeing this on a documentary mm. the other day Japan post Second World War so you've yeah. got to remember there was a nuclear bomb yeah. dropped there so repairing the relationship with Japan was something called out as a specific um, you know an area where she had to to help with diplomatic relations but she's been to countries like Iran many times mm. like more than once um, oh, sorry yeah once and also you know countries across the world Kuwait Libya, yeah. um, you know, many countries where they potentially, you know, we've had challenges. And, and for me as well, the one that stands out was also like, you know, the the Northern Ireland, like the how to help bridge the gap uh, that we've had in the UK for so long around Ireland and Northern Ireland. Yeah. Uh, French President Emmanuel Macron said a queen of hearts who marked her country and century forever. Of course, she lived 70 years as queen and then uh, 20 some odd years before yeah. then. So and as close to a decade as you can get. Not a decade, sorry, a century. Um, uh, New Zealand Prime Minister Hacinda Ardern said, working until the very end on behalf of the people she loved, a life that was completely and utterly devoted to the service of others. So she mentioned service, but what stood out here to me, Arif, is working till the very That's end. That's true, so true. Yeah. Two days before her demise, and she was 96, right? So I think about uh, my parents... My parents are in their 60s, 70s. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, you can tell that they're aging. She was 96, and two days before she passed away, she was up standing, meeting the new prime minister, probably had some kind of conversation with her. Yeah. And uh, she, she, she is a... A live, uh, she was a living, breathing example of working till your very last breath. And also very, very major responsibilities. Don't forget, she met the, the new prime minister, Liz Truss, just mm. a few days before as well. So she was taking yeah. on, she wasn't just, it wasn't just figure, figure uh, type work. It wasn't just for the sake of it. It was some major things, bringing in a yeah. new prime minister, meeting a new prime minister. Yeah. But you could see in the, in the images that were published uh, of her meeting Liz Truss, she yeah. did appear to be quite frail. And uh, many have called out sure. there was some black mark markings on her hand, like potentially she had a calendula, but she carried yeah. on yeah. throughout uh, m doing her duties and fulfilling her responsibilities. Barack Obama said uh, about the queen, a reign defined by grace, elegance and a tireless work ethic. Uh, Irish President Michael Higgins, extraordinary sense of duty, remarkable source of reassurance to the British 
people. And lastly, uh, Mr. Donald Trump, what a grand and beautiful lady she was. There was nobody like her. So <laughs> fantastic tribute there by Mr. Trump to Her Majesty. So even he had something nice to say about <laughs> exactly. the well, every, Queen. Isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's very rare. I'll say this again. It's very rare that you can find a one single figure who all of that diverse list of people you've just gone through can all, yeah. all come together and say the same good things. Yeah. So you are listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam. Be sure to follow at Voice of Islam UK on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. Use the hashtag VOIPeace to send us your thoughts, comments and feedback. When we come back, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time on our new king and uh, talk a little bit about where we are and what the future holds. We'll be right back after a short break. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. In order to establish the oneness of God, it is of utmost importance that one should love God to one's full capacity. And this love cannot be verified unless it reaches its perfection in a practical form. It cannot be proved with lip profession. You know, if somebody just talks of sugar... He cannot find the taste of sweetness in his mouth. Or, if somebody expresses the feeling of friendship, but does not help his friend in times of need, he cannot be called a true friend. Likewise, if somebody just talks of the oneness of God, but does not love him as he should, it cannot be of any avail. What I really mean is that practice is very important along with the precept. That is why it is necessary that you should dedicate your lives in the way of God. And this is the real Islam for which I have been sent to the world. Thus, he who does not come near this fountain that God has made to flow is very unfortunate. A new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome back. You are listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam radio. We welcome your thoughts and comments at Voice of Islam UK. Use the hashtag VOIPeace to let us know what you think. We are talking tonight and reflecting upon Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II, who reigned uh, the United Kingdom for uh, just over 70 years. And we are just taking some time to reflect on her reign, uh, talking a little bit about some of the uh, work that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is doing in that regard, and also uh, reading out many tributes that have been coming in from around the world from many world leaders, including that of His Holiness the Fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Now, of course, we are the Pathway to Peace show here, so the Queen as well, along with doing so many other things, she was instrumental in bringing about peace in so many ways to the to the world. Um, and Arif, uh, I mean, you mentioned before the break about, you know, building the bridge yeah. between Ireland and Northern Ireland and what she's done there. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. I just want to give a small example now. It's not that the, peace, the Queen was sitting there in terms of the negotiations in a very visible way, but there were a couple of things. One thing in particular I want to just highlight, one incident that shows the role, the more subtle role that she played, but also important one. So the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, were 
you know, a group well known of those of us in the UK. You know, there was a, they were fighting for independence of Ireland, and there were uh, there were attacks and bombings and things that occurred in the UK as a result of the IRA's activities. Now, as part of that um, incident, as well as part of that, the Queen was directly affected um, by that because the IRA had actually killed the Queen's cousin, Lord Louis Mountbatten. Um, you know, the last Viceroy of India in 1979 when they blew up his fishing boat in uh, Donegal Bay in the Republic's northwest. And three other relatives of his also died in the attack. So the Queen had had personal impact from, from this group. Yet, a year after, you know, she when she visited Ireland, the Queen herself, the Queen met and shook the hand of the former IRA commander, uh, who was a then Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland, uh, Martin McGuinness in Belfast. So this shows that despite that personal pain she had felt, as part of the peace and reconciliation process, she personally also made peace with that. She didn't hold grudges. And there was a very famous handshake that took place. It was in 2012, where she shook hands with Northern Ireland Deputy First Minister Martin McGuinness, who, uh, you know, who was a former commander of the IRA. And that was seen as a gesture that, you know, even she had been personally affected by this problem, by this in terms of her own family dying and being targeted. You know, she was able to put that behind and she was able to uh, you know, choose the pathway to peace. Indeed. Uh, what a great example of uh, how the Queen helped to establish peace uh, in this case, particularly in Ireland. Uh, you are listening to the Pathway to Peace show. Uh, we want to move on now in the last portion of this show and talk a little bit about our new king. Now, it's interesting to note that in 2015, King Charles did an interview, the then Prince of Wales, now King Charles III, and he did this interview with BBC Radio 2, and there's an interesting quote that I'll just read out. Quote, I mind about the inclusion of other people's faiths and their freedom to worship in this country and it's always seemed to me that while at the same time being a defender of faith you can also be protector of faiths he also went on to point out that the queen had said her role was not to defend angelicanism to the exclusion of other religions instead the church of england has a duty to protect the free practice of all faiths in this country. I think, this is a quote from the then prince, now king, I, he said, I think in that sense she was confirming what I was really trying to say, perhaps not very well all those years ago. So this is his reflection on his comments uh, in 2015 because it stirred up a bit of controversy, didn't it, at the time when, when he made those comments. Uh, but he called himself a defender of faith and a protector of faith. Now we've seen, based on the examples that we've given on this show and what people have been watching on their televisions over the last few days, uh, that the Queen was very much about you know, freedom of religion and letting people practice their faith. And so we've given the example of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Now as we look forward, with King Charles III, it, it sounds like he's a big advocate for it. It is. It's Charles Charles is is a different um is is gonna be a different kind of a leader. It'll be interesting mm. to see his his angle. He I mean, he's known for actually speaking very positively about both Judaism um and Islam 
um, specifically. There, there are times when he's spoken at events. He gave a speech at the Oxford Centre for Islamic Studies in 2010 when he spoke about um, the link between or Islam's view around the environment and nature. Um, so the, Prince Charles has always had this um, kind of, he's spoken positively about the religion of Islam, which is interesting for someone who is specifically, you know, a representative of the Church of England. So I'm, I'm hoping that he'll continue this, not only continue this, um, you know, ethos of freedom of religion, but actually he may be able to help build even more bridges, um, you know, between communities and particularly with the Muslim community, which is, is re I find really interesting and exciting to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. He also mentioned, though, which kind of worried me a little bit he he did mention in his first speech that now his his role will be very different to what it was as prince uh so uh there there may be some restrictions in what he can and can't say uh and actually he had a lot of freedom as prince and 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 now maybe you know so there is a bit of um a bit of worry there in my mind about about what he's actually going That's to true. be able to do but I'm very optimistic and I think based on what he said in the past and what you just mentioned there Arif around his views on the freedom of religion and him, him calling himself in, in 2015 the defender of faith and yeah. the protector of faiths uh, and alluding to what the Queen had said around that she, uh, even though she's the head of the Church of England she doesn't see her duty just to protect her religion but to protect all religions and that's something as well that the founder of Islam the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of God be upon him taught uh, almost 14 or over 1400 years ago now and also to give you an example of some of the other things he said so I, I came across a, an article on uh, the Al Jazeera website talking mm. about some of the things Prince Charles has said so this is from a while ago 1993 um, this is again during a, a speech he gave at the Oxford Center for Islamic Studies he said and I'll quote this if there is if there is much misunderstanding in the West about the nature of Islam there's also much ignorance about the debt our own culture and civilization owe to the Islamic world. It is a failure which stems, I think, from the straitjacket of history which we've inherited. Um, so, and, end quotes. You can see he's talking about, you know, this, this, uh, the influence of the ancient Islamic world on the mm. modern day and Islam and, West, and, and the West and trying to highlight, you know, the need for better understanding between that. And he also went on to say he warned that extremism not, must not be seen as the hallmark of Islam. And he also said that there's no more the monopoly of Islam than is um, said it was, which is extremism, is no more the monopoly of Islam than it is the monopoly of other religions, including Christianity. Mm. You know, kind of recognizing that extremism, unfortunately, uh, rears its head in many different areas with people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting, and it and it does show that Prince Charles is uh, a very learned man and has done his homework, so he understands Islam. And I just actually finished a book. Uh, by the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, a book that he wrote uh, to the then Prince of Wales, uh, and he uh, again commended the Prince of Wales and 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 had had great prayers for for the Prince of Wales. Uh, one of the things he mentioned in there was about um, you know how he's grateful for for the freedom of religion and what he's done. But then that book, and I and I wonder how that book was received in the royal family and if maybe uh, Prince Charles or Her Majesty maybe got her hands on it. And also we'd, we've mentioned it at the Jubilee show that we did a few months back uh, about some of the messages that were written very strongly um, to uh, um, educate the Queen at the time, Queen Victoria, and now 
uh, at the Diamond Jubilee was presented to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth to educate them on Islam. But it seems like Prince Charles, aside from that, seems like he he has a great respect for Islam and and doesn't see Islam as a threat, but more of a a a religion of peace as it is, and understands that it's about bringing faiths together. And, and say what you want about the United Kingdom. Now, for me personally, and this is personal, for me, the more I travel to other parts of the world, the more I appreciate the UK and, and London yeah. in particular. In terms of the variety, the diversity, and it sounds like a cliche, but the amount of different religious, ethnic groups, right, from all sorts of different things, all sorts of different walks of life, they're able to come together in the UK and live peacefully, uh, predominantly peacefully. And they're able to get along in a way that, unfortunately, um, there's not many, um, you know, instances that in, in like that in the world. Mm. Now, at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he laid down the model for how we can live in peace with those of other faiths. Yeah. And, he, you know, there's so many examples from his, his life. But then you th- reflect on it. How many places in the world do we actually see that? where people are able to have, you know, religious freedom, they're able to, you know, there's freedom of expression, there's respect for other faiths and things like that. There are not many, um, lots of different examples, and I would I would volunteer up <laughs> for discussion that, you know, the UK actually has a really strong culture um, that the monarch has acknowledged how multicultural the society is, and it's a, f- it's a feature that's celebrated in the UK. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not just something that's tolerated. It's actually celebrated. And I think that is something that um, I hope that Charles, Prince Charles, or King Charles, I should say, see, I'm not used King to either, Charles, yeah. will continue to build on. And it will be a factor, you know, of something that will continue. And as the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we're extremely grateful because that's what has allowed our community to continue. It's what's allowed our spiritual head to continue to preach his message and has allowed, uh, you know, him to carry on. Uh, and do go about his duties without you know having any fear whereas in other countries uh, across the world there he wouldn't be able to do that Mm. and so the uk actually has provided something quite unique in that aspect yeah and i was gonna ask you rf while you're talking there if you think it's evolved during the 70 years that her majesty was in reign but then i realized actually the freedom of religion part hasn't changed since the time of the promised messiah because the promised messiah talked about it at queen victoria's time but any any thoughts on that yeah and i'd say i'd say part of the so <laughs> there's a history to yeah. this there's a history to why the uk is so diverse yeah. and some of it is not glamorous it's because it was a you know they used to be an empire yeah that used to have countries you know the reason we have people from the reason my my ancestors emigrated from to, from Kenya, for example, to the UK was because there was a drive at the time to bring you know, migrants from some of these countries to do some of the work in the UK. So I'm not trying to romanticize mm. this too much. But what I'm trying to say is that having come here and established themselves here, you know, there is the, the modern day London. If you were to walk the streets of London today, the diversity and the different groups, ethnic groups, you would see the yeah. mosques, the synagogues, the gurdwaras all around each other. Um, you know, that is something that I, I honestly feel is very unique. Or maybe there's another city that like it. I haven't found one myself. Mm. But there's th- that whole mix has become a key part of, yeah. you know, what it is to be British, I think. Yeah. Are, are you from Kenya as well? So, uh, yeah. So, again, to do with the British Empire, isn't it? But, yeah, yeah. you know, all of my ancestors were in India yeah. and Pakistan. After, after wow. partition, they did move to, to Africa. And again, you know, Africa was part of the British Empire, which is one reason why movement was so fluid between yeah. there. So there is that history. You're the third person yeah. I know that, 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 that that's from Kenya. And the, I didn't know that. Something the, new I learned about you today. You go. Every day's a school day. Yeah. You're listening to Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam. Today, we, as we conclude here on this very show here on The Voice of Islam radio, 
the Pathway to Peace show. We want to take a minute to offer our deepest condolences to the royal family, first and foremost, to which Queen Elizabeth was a dear mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. And in the words of His Holiness, the Fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we too here at the Pathway to Peace show on The Voice of Islam say that we remain forever grateful for the way Her Majesty served her people with immense dignity, grace, and unwavering dedication throughout her long reign. We express our deep, our most sincere condolences to His Majesty King Charles III, the members of the royal family, and to the nation. May God Almighty grant them all the patience and strength to deal with this tremendous loss. Today, we have been reflecting on some of the key aspects of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth's 70-year reign and how she played a key role in bringing about peace around the world. From the entire Pathway to Peace team, our technician who makes the sound of our voice pleasant to your ears, thank you for listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam. Until next time, for Arif Khan, this is Sufyan Faruqi saying, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you.